Hello everyone and welcome to the second Leicester City Discord podcast. I am H2, I am here with co-host Madlock. Hey, yeah. And our guest this week is a regular member from the Discord, Tyler. Would you like to say a little bit about yourself, Tyler? Hello, I am here uh, currently in, uh, in Chicago and just uh, happy to be on for this uh, second episode. Hey, yeah, welcome. So yeah, we'll be talking a bit about the Brentford game, we'll be talking a bit about like other events around the team, and we'll be looking forward a little bit to the Arsenal game. Uh, so this podcast is associated with the Leicester City Football Club Discord, which comes out of the Reddit. You can find the link to the Discord at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash lcfc, and also LCFC Women. And you can also find this podcast on Acast and all the places you find your podcasts. So let's start off looking at some quick headlines that happened before the match. We released our shark numbers. Yes, I obviously a big, big hint there with uh, Ward taking number one. I think we'll cover Ward and how he did a bit later on. But yeah, and then it was interesting to see. Yeah, I, I didn't actually notice this. Um, Chowdhury Daka swapped shirts. Yeah, and um, yeah. Someone mentioned Dakar had number 20 when he was at RB Leipzig, so that could just be all there is to that. Salzburg, but yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll be Salzburg, yes. <laughs> Whoops. One um, of the Red Bulls. Yes. Yeah. I think I've been reading a lot of Leipzig stuff on, on The Athletic recently, and that's that. Yeah. Is yeah. it the um, team of course, stuff, is it? Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the reason uh, Danny Ward's now wearing the number one shirt is that Schmeichel, it was a rumour last time we recorded, but he's now gone to Nice. What do we think about that? It's it's hard. It's it's difficult as like on an emotional level to deal with that because you know he was so important to like everything that this team has been about for the last eleven years. I mean, I don't before before Ward played that one game uh, within like the last couple of weeks of the season. I think he had like it was it was so it was a number of like consecutive starts. I think it might have been over a hundred in the Premier League. It was. Of, it was kind of wacky, but the, it was essentially he was the one guy you could ga- count on was like always there, and now he's not. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, there's details to explain why either could be true in different situations. But one thing that can't be denied is the fact that him not being in the building is going to be tough going forward for everyone in terms of the maintaining the culture that was built at this club. Yeah, he made 149 consecutive Premier League starts for us. Yeah, that's that's hard to replace. Yeah, absolutely. I it it is sad, but I'm kind of as I sort of said in the last podcast, I'm sort of happy it's transitioned now. I think he obviously he's not he's got a few good few years left in him, but I think he I think he'll just wants to change the scenery, which after 11 years, I think that's fair. I think not many people who you know stick around in their jobs for 11 years let alone um you know uh, at a football club especially these days um you know where if you're not on top of it you you're out and he was and he's i think he's lifted every trophy bar the league the league trophy of us um and uh, domestically the league, yeah the league cup i think you mean right yeah sorry the league cup apologies yes yeah, not the league sorry the well, league he cup. has actually lifted that one with us uh yes no Yes, he is, and um, you know, and he will. I think you know, as I think Rogers put it well, you know, in a, a day and age where people use legend and stuff quite freely, he will, he'll be forever in you know Leicester folklore, and we'll talk yeah. about him 
for generations to come, I suspect. I think he'd be up there with Banks and Shilton. Um, but yeah, no, I think it needed to happen. I think he also, in a more business-oriented suit, he's definitely got to be one of the biggest pay packets we've got, and that is one of the challenges that we have as a club. Yeah, it's one mm. of those ones. It kind of saves us that awkward thing of, as your legend skills, especially when they're also captains, start to drop off. And I do think we were starting to see it in the last season or two. That mm-hmm. he wasn't at the same peak he had been a few years before. And that point where Danny Ward overtakes him becomes awkward because it's very difficult to drop your club captain, especially as a goalkeeper. And I think I think it was Danny Ward's time. I think putting Danny Ward in goal for that one match last season, that one Premier League match last season, said that. And um, I think this is really the right move, certainly for Danny Ward, and I think... Danny Ward will be the future of our club in goal. And speaking of Danny Ward in goal, he uh, obviously played in goal wearing the number one shirt for us against Brentford. A 2-2 draw and arguably two points lost. Let's, let's talk about that match. Who, who would like to come in first? The first half was exceptional. And that's really difficult that you ended up with only one point in the end because oh, definitely. there was nothing about that first half it was essentially like a perfect like eight and a half nine out of ten the entire first half it looked great and they looked great in the back three which you can't say they did a ton last year whether they played in the back three or not which wasn't very common and when it was it wasn't very good however it was kind of a necessity because with harvey barnes hurt you don't really have a right winger what's the point of playing wingers if your best one's not there and you don't have a come come uh compensatory option on the opposite flank so they went with wingbacks they played a back uh, three slash five and i thought it was really good it was like they had like a midfield diamond essentially along yeah. with the back five which is kind of the thing you don't really see very often but yeah it worked well they were really strong in possession for that first half it was a 5-4-1 the diamond midfield wasn't it and yeah we were winning just so much of that midfield battle um it was one of those things i loved seeing just in that first half every time the ball was loose it was one of our players often let's be honest kin and Dewsbury hall on it though madison and telemans and ndidi obviously were you know they were all working for those balls as well and maybe i just have a bit of a rush on Dewsbury hall and that's why i remember him most yeah um i, I don't remember the possession stats but i'm sure we dominated possession at half time uh i have it right here by the end of the first half we had 62 percent possession we dominated possession then didn't we every single thing was in our favor with that it was prime rogers ball and it was nice and i know he's i know rogers is a bit frustrated that we don't have the wingers to supply with barnes injured we have changed up the game plan. That was not the same formation, but we were still fairly freely scoring, which is what we saw in the preseason. So, again, the issue for us isn't going forward. It is is that back line. And, you know, we'll get into the second half in a minute, but, you know, we we were so dominant. It was it was actually enjoyable to watch. There was no really scary... That was kind of one or two blips, but nothing that you wouldn't expect from a football match uh, in the yeah. first half. And, mm. yeah, and it, yeah, that midfield was crucial. Uh, we got our first goal of the season. Castagna opened our account this season. Uh, header straight off a corner, right? It was a set piece. Not it only was. was. Not only were we defending set pieces well, but we were actually scoring off our attacking set piece. 
phases, which I don't think we had a lot of those either last year. A lot of talk was on, there was a ton of talk about how there was a lot of, all the talk was about defending set pieces and all the trouble that we had last year. I think that another part of it was the fact that we didn't really score off them either. Madison, Madison had a couple free kicks. There was maybe like a couple headers here, but it really wasn't that much, especially compared to how much we conceded on those positions. There was some clever, um, there was a little clever maneuver that I don't know if you call it, was that Fofana, Fofana was kind of well back. And actually, I, I so just for full disclosure, I, was, I listened to it on the radio, um, so I was not able to go. But I, you know, the, the commentators made a point, and I, I rewatched a lot of the highlight reels. Fofana sat back. Now, obviously, if you were looking at us, who's the biggest threat in the box from headers? Fofana. Oh, Fofana, yeah, mm-hmm. with Absolutely. about a shadow of a doubt. And he stood back. He stood well back and took a defender off, and Castagna made that run, flicked it in near the, on the near post, and it was it was a really nice, subtle tactic where it wasn't silly, you know, it wasn't silly games. It was a proper little subtle maneuver, and I think even Evans giving it to, you know, trying to pull Fofana forward, I think actually it was quite a clever maneuver. And I'd, I'd want to give, see, I want to know, I'd be curious to know rather, if that was an intentional tactic or that was just kind of a nice coincidence but it was uh, it's, it's little things like that 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 gave us that edge in the box that time and i wonder if that's us now coming to terms to set pieces i think it's based on pre-season i hope that that's the case because it sounds like it worked really well and i didn't notice that detail but well, that sounds really interesting uh hopefully we see more of that going forward because it worked really well there yeah i did i saw brentford were not without their chances i did observe they were very happy to let us pass the ball around in their half, but less in the attacking third, and then try and hit us in the transition if we turned the ball over. Yeah, not to jump ahead to the second half, but I do wonder if there was a deliberate ploy to make us work and then hit us late with lots of fresh recruits. Obviously, we'll talk more about that in the second half, but I think this might be maybe Thomas Frank made a conscious decision for us because there was a lot of times where like you said they just quite happily passed the ball around there wasn't a lot of energy to the game there wasn't a lot of threat and it could have been jitters it could have been a lack of belief but given how the game obviously pans out i wonder if this was like i said a conscious decision and it'd be interesting because we're now in an era of five substitutes and now you can change half the team and that can change the shape quite considerably so now you know this is the kind of an error that Rogers needs to come to terms with because obviously, a, again, not to jump ahead, you know, he didn't utilize all the substitutes, which would be a big talking point that we'll probably cover off later. But mm-hmm. I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things that I actually noticed in the first half that was, I, I think some of you brought this up a little bit, but I there was points in the midfield where I was really wanting them to try and drive forward more. I felt like there was times where, whether it was um, KDH, I felt like Yuri was going forward a ton, and so was Madison. There was a couple moments with with Kiernan where I was like, just go forward, you have all this space, and it didn't seem like he took it. And that's why I felt like he was better in the second half than he was in the first. And then with Ndidi, I also felt like there was times where he was more willing to just pass it back to the center backs versus trying to find someone forward yeah. who could like progress the ball. That that is in Didi's style. Um, mm-hmm. There was a very clear moment he had the ball, and I think Vardy started to make a run. Um, it may have been Madison making the run actually. I think about that coming exactly who. And you, the the certainly when you watch it from that wide angle, it's just screaming for that ball to be played through. But he 
sort of played the, the safer ball over to, I think it was Dewsbury Hall instead. And by the time Dewsbury Hall had the balls, like the run, the run had gone, and it, the moment had to make that pass. The commentator even called that one out. But Renford were not without their chances. Um, they did work Danny Ward a couple of times. I think he handled both times as really as really as well as we we could ask him to, right? Yeah, I with Danny Ward, I don't think he can. I don't. He he'd be able to hold his head up high after that match. Yeah, it wasn't a clean sheet, but he was left. Those two goals are just. It would you know it would take some exceptional goalkeeping to keep those out. And I say that as someone who does goalkeeping in a five side. It's not the same, but I, I there's sometimes where you just know it's going to go in, and there's not a lot you can do without being superhuman <laughs> to stop it. Yeah, yeah. The first goal, there's nothing you could do about, and the second no. goal, I remember Ben Foster talking about it on his podcast, saying sometimes you know they just hit a shot, and you know it's going in. And he said one difference between the Premier League and the Championship is in the Premier League, you dive for it anyway because you know it's on TV and you look a bit of a muppet if you just stood on your line and watched it go in. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think, yeah, you yeah, you have to you have to play to the whistle, right? And to be honest, I even think even now in the Championship, it's, it's becoming more prominent. Yeah. But I, I 100% take Foster's point, yeah. But yeah, that second goal, he was stood there, but he weren't getting it even if he dived is kind of the point. <laughs> Yeah, that one was tough. And this is assuming he called the he made the right call as well. Oh yeah. Well, there was some um, there was some weird things that happened there. But one thing that was the case with um with Ward that of course we were talking about Schmeichel leaving earlier and how you know there's such a massive hole that's filled there. There are certain qualities that it's clear that Ward certain aspects of his game that it's very clear that Ward is better at than Schmeichel. And one of those seems to be his aggressiveness in leaving his line. And you saw that whenever there was a corner and a, a set-piece uh, situation, especially in terms of the corners, it felt like there was not just uh, a more... You had a, a better a, a keeper at the back who was more willing to come forward and catch it. And that was something that yeah. I was noticing I felt really good about. But I remember last year, there was all this like pressure around like, oh, no, a corner's coming after we conceded a corner. And then it would always end up in the back of the net afterwards. I didn't feel that. I didn't feel that in the stands when I was watching from... I'm, Obviously, I wasn't there, but I didn't. It didn't feel that energy when I was seeing what was happening. It didn't feel that way, and it didn't look that way from the players. They felt like they were confident that what they were doing was working. Yeah, I mean, I think Brentford had six corners over the course of the match, and I'm trying to remember. Like two were headed away by Fafana, two were headed by, away by Vardy. Oh, sorry, one headed away, and I think one headed behind by Vardy. Well, just you know, near enough the same same that. difference, and I think two were just you know Ward jumped out, caught them somewhere in his six yard area. That kind of panic and um, it's kind of choking. as last season was the, the 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 ball would come in and our players would just kind of stand there like they didn't know what to do. Mm. You know, like when professional athletes choke, and this time around we we just didn't. We defended them. I was going to say, with, with Danny Ward, like I said, and this is not to denigrate the great Casper Schmeichel, but Danny Ward is a more modern goalkeeper. He yeah. is a, he is a sweeper-keeper. He is, he is a natural successor to, to Schmeichel. Schmeichel was a brilliant shot-stopper, but he, 
in the end, yeah, he wouldn't claim. Um, even arguably, it was very evident that Danny Ward was willing to do that. I also thought his distribution was that bit better. I yeah. mean, as much as I love Schmeichel, it was almost a ritual of he's going to boot that off at the halfway line, isn't he? It was. It was just a running gag about how he just hits it into Roji. <laughs> Between the two goalkeepers, certainly Wards was great. I don't remember him putting a single ball into the, you know, into the stands. Although it must be said, I didn't pay attention for the entire match. I did like some other like little bits of work with other stuff I have to do as well. I spent a bit of it writing the agenda for this podcast as well. I wasn't really watching <laughs> while I was doing that. Um, the one thing that I'll say about the set pieces is I feel like. Coming into the year, there was obviously the part about how, oh, there's no signings, what's going to happen? Um, but the other part was Leicester were so bad conceding set pieces last year and conceding gold on them. I think that if we see what we saw over the course of the season, the fears of that from the fans, from the players, and from uh, from Brendan and his staff as well are just going to kind of fizzle away. And I don't think we're going to be talking about yeah. set pieces the way that we were last year. I just don't think it's going to be a problem anymore. I think that there's other yeah. things that are going to happen because obviously there's parts of Asper's game that he's better at than Danny Ward. But I don't think that the set pieces are going to be the issue they were last year because of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're de- I think the set pieces definitely look like they're going to be better. I mean, if you include pre-season, or so let's say since the start of pre-season, we've now gone six games without conceding from a set piece, right? The last set piece mm-hmm. we conceded was the first game of pre-season against Notts County. We've played five games since then of preseason and now this one and not conceded from a set piece if we keep that up and i don't think keeping up never conceding from a set piece at premier league level is going to carry on forever but if we keep up a good record for set pieces they're going to start talking about it a match of the day they're going to start getting articles by rob tanner like however leicester city turned their set pieces around and it's going to like infuse down to the regular fans mm-hmm. No, absolutely, and I think, yeah, that hoodoo needed to stop. It's just one of those... It was just becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. Um, I, I think also a major shift will be Evans. I think it's one thing to have a goalkeeper marshalling your back line. It's another having a centre-back. We sort of touched on it last podcast, you know, that that West Morgan marshalling, you know, he would tell players to, you know, mark other players. He had that kind of sight, and Evans clearly has that. Evans, even when I was listening on the radio, you could hear Evans... <laughs> Through the microphone of either you know Pipes or Owen Palmer, Atkin, then you could hear him, you know, marshalling that that back line. Um, but I have to admit, I do think he's got more work on his left flank with Amate than he does with um, the Fafana. Fafana. I think well, Amate tends to play on the right anyway, so he's probably a bit uncomfortable. But he, you know, not to again not to jump ahead of ourselves a bit, but you know. He he he. For me, you know, he gets the wooden spoon for that match. He really, he he really frustrated me. And to be honest, the fact that he started, I thought was a little uninspired. But I think that betrays what's going on, kind of potentially behind the scenes. You know, when you're picking him over Soyuncu, where I know he's had his issues, but you know, even Soyuncu at his best, um, you know, we could have others. But yeah, I I don't. We had Soyuncu back. And Chowdhury's proved that he can slot in at a centre-back, you know. Chowdhury, for me, I don't know what... I think I think some of it is personality. This is it. Yeah, he, he's been really considerably good, and I like him. He's got speed. He's got aggression. I think he's got a bit of an unfair reputation for being a bit yeah. aggressive. I 
I have questions around that. And I don't like the fact that Klopp and a couple of other managers really leaned on that um, and really kind of made a point of that in presses. Is he wasn't any more aggressive than some other players. You know, I I'd say he was uh, you know on par with McTominay and. You know, I think it's, it's a fortunate he's there, but I think some antics of his through the time that he's been at Leicester, I think had he not had so much credit with the club, I'm not sure he would have been here as long. But he he has the ability, but now the question is, is he willing to play, you know, runner-up to, to Ndidi? And, and now he's behind Mendy. Yeah. Um, one thing about the, about the fact that, like the whole Amarty situation there, um, in the preseason, obviously they had two squads that played. They had... Um, they had the uh, they had the one formation where they had a back four, and that two center backs was Evans and Fofana. And then in the other formation that they ran, they had three center backs, and that was uh, Sancho on the left, Vestergaard in the middle, and Amarty on the right. And I don't know exactly what the reason was for why they started a player on his offside over a player when we knew we were going to be playing a back three. New were playing a back three in that game, so I don't understand why they chose to play the right center back as the left center back, as opposed to putting in Soyuncu there, when I feel like if we did that, we would have had our three best center backs on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, if I was to play armchair manager here but and like limited the same numbers, I would have possibly brought Justin in as the left-sided center back, and or Soyuncu, really, either or, and then maybe bring in Thomas as more of a the left back to bring in a natural left foot and, and he could have complimented uh, Dewsbury Hall a little bit but yeah I personally it's interesting you know that Rogers did play the diamond um, historically at least in recent memory the diamond doesn't tend to go down well at Leicester yeah I, I'm not sure it would have been the right formation for Thomas because I, I find he I think he's still a player who needs someone to link up with on the side he's good when he's got someone like Harvey Barnes in front of him who we can like play one twos with and link up with and get forward that way, and he's really good. Um, also, you know, when when Kin and Dewsbury Hall comes over to help him out, I think when he's on his own trying to cover the wing, like as a full full on wing back, um, I tended to find he struggles. Yeah, um, that's fair. He doesn't quite have that physicality, which you know, it's obviously something we don't have. And where obviously Justin, he he can stand alone quite easily by himself and. Yeah. Also, interestingly, I mean, Justin, one of my favourite goals in recent memory that was one of his, and that was his, oddly enough, against Brentford, but in the FA Cup, during the FA Cup winning season, his curler into the net from out, just outside the box. Very nice goal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he very considered, you know, and he's got that physicality. Like you said, he can stand up alone. But again, yeah, Soyuncu, I, again, I don't know if this portrays some sort of transfer unease in in the in the room or Soyuncu has other issues um as far as I'm concerned he's physically fit so the, it begs the question why wasn't he playing yeah yeah but in the end we went in at half time I think quite happy at half time right oh so yeah we won the up we dominated the first half and then we came out for the second half and uh, things just looked like they were going to get even better in the second half at first yeah it, that's, what a uh, goal it was. It was an amazing goal by Dewsbury Hall. I uh, honestly, I I remember hearing it. It's, I think no one believed, no one saw that coming. We've it was seconds into it, and yeah, I mean Dewsbury Hall is definitely easily, possibly going to be the greatest signing of this window. <laughs> I know he started last season, but 
you know, he, he could end up being, uh, I do think there's a real contention for him being the vice captain. Because I also noticed also, he, he's the key man, and we won't just, I, I tried to not jump ahead of it. You know, I'm eager to talk about how it went down. But that first 20 minutes, 20 minutes, it was just a continuation. It was good Rogers ball, Dewsbury Hall, the midfield. It was just more of the same. And again, it was really comfortable. I, the shift was that substitution. Well, after that, it was a different game. And once they got that goal, which, again, I don't want to really rag on Amati. I, I like him personally, but, you know, as a defender, I don't know if he should be starting, like I said before. But after that goal, they smelled blood in the water. And then it was all hands to the pump, panic stations. That, that the, the whole tone of the game changed. And I, yeah, and, you know, Vardy wasn't having a great game. And I, I would have gotten. Daka for Vardy, but Daka, you know, Daka for Dewsbury Hall. I mean, do we need to question maybe Dewsbury Hall's fitness? I mean, I don't know what I think we, we think. have to. Oh, he was. I felt he was able to take care of. I felt he did a really good job throughout the entire preseason. He played so much last year as well. I, I and he was able to go through long stretches throughout almost every preseason game that he played. I don't necessarily what would be the reason why he was taken off he didn't seem i don't know i don't know if you guys saw this when you were watching when, when you were watching but on the the u.s broadcast which was on peacock which was also like 30 seconds delayed which was a little bit frustrating because i found out about the dewsbury hall goal before uh i actually saw it <laughs> yeah that's just what following the games and the match day threads like yeah um but one of the things is that they did pan over to him at one point, like the 70th minute. I think it was after they conceded the first goal, but it was before the second one. Yeah. And he did not look happy. He was like, he, I mean, he kind of looked like basically what everyone else felt like, which was essentially, why? What was the reason for this? So you know, we conceded the goal um, in the seven, 62nd minute. Um, it kind of all started... At, from our own throw-in. It just feels like it shouldn't happen. Um, for those who didn't see the match, it was a throw-in in our defensive third. And Marty took it. Um, which Doesn't Marty normally take throw-ins on that side? I, normally it's like the wing-back's job, isn't it? He has, but, but when he's played right-back for us, which is kind of a role he played for us a lot, just particularly during the Claude years. Um, fair enough. But yes, Marty took the throw-in. In his defence, Brentford did press that throw in really hard. I think if you look at the the like freeze frame just as he's throwing the ball in, there's something like eight Brentford players in the area. And in the end, they win the ball off the throw in. They cut across the pitch. None of our players really seem to react to it. I think there seems to be a thing of everyone had this complacent moment of assuming we'd win the throw in. Ball gets cut inside, point-blank range shot, and Brentford have pulled one back. Mm -hmm. I think the interesting detail there is um, that was three minutes after they made two subs. They brought on an attacker, King Lewis Potter. They took out their centre-back, Ben Mee, and then they also brought on Josh De Silva. So they brought in two players who were more attacking players, and that was three minutes later. And you could see that they had those fresh legs out there. And that was probably why they were so strong on the press on that throw-in, which led to the goal. And then, I don't want to get ahead, but in the second goal, also they made three subs, and then three minutes later was that goal. So three minutes, actually no, they, they made one sub in the 73rd, then 
to an aether, but two minute, three minutes before each goal, they made two subs. So they had fresh players who were not tired versus 10, 10 of our players, especially in considering the fact that it was every single person in our defensive third, because Daka was more of the uh, pressing attacker, but every single player in our defensive third had been playing the entire match, and they had five players out there who were fully rested by the time they scored that second goal. And that's just why it was confusing for the fact there was no subs. I feel like it was difficult to say, oh, you who, who do you take off in that moment? But at the same time, there's players out there, they tire, and there's no reason yeah. why with five subs you can't get anyone out there. Yeah, yeah. there was definitely kind of switch around that moment, wasn't there? Kind of around the goal. It didn't, well, it doesn't feel like a solid switch. It kind of felt like there was kind of a period where the game started to go away from us and Brentford kind of gradually took control of it. We seemed to stop winning second balls. I think when those subs came on, they were running after those second balls and challenging for them a lot harder, right? Because mm -hmm. they had the energy to, we seemed to lose a bit of energy. Dewsbury Ball is very energetic. Yes, I mean, he just doesn't stop running, does he? He reminds me a bit of Robertson in terms of just, just constantly, constantly running. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I mean, for me, I... Like I said earlier, I think Thomas Frank is adopted to the new rules quicker than Rogers has. He, Thomas Frank, you know, got his team, got them to kind of hold back. Um, they managed to claw one back, and I think they were they were the one goal they thought they could recover from. Obviously, the second one comes in. Oh, it was a bit of a deflation. We dominate a lot after that, and then just this opening. You know, we've got two strikers up front. The midfield's become incredibly thin, and a backline who's having to kind of judge if they need to go forward to stop them or ensure that people aren't running in behind and suddenly we're completely exposed and Thomas Frank goes boom five five substitutes five pairs of fresh legs of attacking players what are you going to do and they ran amok um they ran amok in that midfield and yeah you know you know even within Diddy's telescopic legs you're just not going to stop that in midfield you need you needed someone else I would have I would have liked to see Pratt in for Dewsbury Hall and Dakar in for Vardy's because I do think Vardy didn't have his greatest game. No, he has games like that sometimes Vardy where he does a lot of like the making runs. I don't think I remember Vardy having a touch. He must have done it at some point, but I don't remember any. Yeah, definitely at least a couple, but like it was one of those things though, because like yeah, because we took a midfielder out and our most energetic midfielder, who's was probably the, our best one at kind of our most press resistant midfielder in a way right and it just meant that we couldn't dominate the midfield anymore now it was our midfield getting dominated and having two strikers didn't really help us because we couldn't get the ball to them yeah yeah i don't i don't understand where rogers is at like i said i do think rogers made a massive tactical area here and i don't know what the thinking was you know we would we were ahead we would have, you know, just I kind of understand maybe saving Dewsbury's tools, you know, just some energy if you wanted, if you think he's going to be crucial for the next match, even though we're not quite on the tight schedule like we were last season. Um, yeah. yeah, like I said, it had to be Pratt. For me, I was you know, I was really surprised. I said, there's got to be Pratt, you know, and then I heard it was Dak, and it was just like, oh, and then I thought sometimes I know Rogers doesn't do like for like substitutions every time, so I thought maybe it'd be Dak, and then maybe Pratt would come on later and take on 
Vardy's role, but Pratt is a good box-to-box, which is exactly what Dewsbury Hall is, that kind of old-school uh, number eight, and that's what we needed, and Pratt is aggressive, and yeah, I don't know. Like I said, he should have, could have, would have really on this, but that's my thought. His reasoning, he put the... There's a link to an interview. Um, I think, Tyler, you've had it with you. Quote from Rodgers is, uh, they had the back three, and then having one striker up there with Madison in behind outside center halves were um we're stepping in that little bit more we look to put two strikers up against it to manage it knowing that you're going to be deeper but when you win when you win it you know you can break away on the counterattack. and i understand that but feel it's just i don't understand i didn't feel like it was sure their center backs they had three so maybe you want to counter that with two forwards as opposed to that but that was the case why would you take from the midfield as opposed to just maybe removing the attacking midfielder and then instead of your 5-4-1 diamond you switch it to like a like a 3-5-2 where you would put you'd put doc up there with Vardy but you'd take off Madison I, I'm not sure I'd take off Madison to be honest I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, either but at the same time I just don't think that I, I wouldn't have Daka and Vardy up top at the same time especially in, especially when you're they, I would, I don't understand the point of having two strike when adding a striker when you're defending a lead. I, mean, I, I don't know. I see the logic to it of like he wanted to make them scared of the counterattack. The Vardy and Daka, they're both the kind of profile you want on the counterattack. And they just didn't seem to be scared of the counterattack. They kind of seemed to just go, well, go on then. Um, the match today coverage pointed out that you know once they switched to back five, suddenly their wing backs could come forward and create huge amounts of width for them that we didn't really handle. It was kind of forcing us to stretch our back line and that created gaps for them to get get in. Because I don't think I know tactics well enough to say what we sh- should be doing to kind of counteract the wing backs in that way. But yeah, if we look at the bench, because you know, we, so we did only make that one substitution. I do think, you know, we suffered from a lack of energy. So who do we bring off on that bet off that bench because one thing that Roger said in, in the same interview quoted afterwards was sort of saying we looked at the game how it was and sort of justifying not taking anyone says um Ndidi's very important for us defensively Yuri and James um that's Tielemans and Madison are experienced now and you're hoping they can manage the game while having the threat up, up front those are our three midfielders and he's sort of saying that's why he didn't want to take any of them off. Do you agree? And looking at the bench, who, what substitutions would you have made? I know you've said some already. The first thing I would say is that I personally felt that Ndidi did not have the best of his games at all. And I was not, like, I was not looking for a way to just, like, get mad at him. Because obviously I, I really, I really like Ndidi. I think he's a very, really capable, strong defensive midfielder. But just felt like there was some issues in possession that were there and we were losing control of the game at that point and I almost feel like maybe moving him off and putting on Mendy would have been a better way to be stronger in possession. I know that it's difficult to say oh you take off your best defensive midfielder but if the guys are getting tired then it's better to have a version of that same player if they're a better in possession and also be less tired 
I feel like at that point you might even have just a better player because of how tired he is versus all these other players they're bringing on who have just come off the bench. Yeah. And um, Madlock, what substitution would you recommend? Are you there, Madlock? We can't hear you. I can't hear, hear Madlock either. I know he has a two-year-old, so maybe he's had to go run after Well, we can carry on talking. I, I look at the substitutes bench, and I think a player, or maybe two players, who I think would have been really good for us are Ian Acho. I think maybe substituting Vardy for Ian Acho would have been really good, because Ian Acho has that ability to drop back into the midfield and he's good at pressing and winning the ball back and making a general nuisance of himself in a way that Vardy's good at as well but more when the ball's really in the back line and it wasn't getting there. Vardy doesn't tend to do that in the midfield. So I think Ian Atro would have been a really good player to put on the pitch. Albrighton I also think would have been good. He's got a very good work rate I'm not sure where we'd have put him because I wouldn't have wanted to take Castagna off necessarily. I don't know where else he goes. I think that's the, that, that's the thing that probably Rogers was thinking was along the lines of, I know I have five subs. I know that I can use this amount of players, but how can I look at anyone right now and say we got we we should be taking you off? Because it wasn't Yuri. It wasn't Yuri. Yuri played exceptionally. I thought that that was one of the best games I had seen in the last like twelve months for him. I, I thought that I thought that he was, and I thought he was also strong in terms of defense. I remember one play where he kind of lost. He kind of lost the ball. Then he, uh, the Brentford player started trying to drive the other way, and it almost was like he tried to baited him, and he he like immediately won the ball back right when he wasn't expecting it. And there were some other moments with Yuri Tillman. He had that one shot in the first half, which was from a long distance. He had the one where he hit the post. Kieran obviously had the one in the second half where he did score. But there were some long-range strikes, One that one from Tielman's. Even then, if a player tires, then it seemed at a certain point there were guys that were getting tired. Whether it's bringing on Sanchu for Amarty because Amarty was getting tired, or bringing on somebody or anyone. I don't, I don't think that bringing... Because just because you have your best eleven, so to say, that's currently on the pitch, doesn't mean that you can't bring on somebody else just because you'd rather have fresh legs versus eighty minutes of eighty minutes of football legs. Yeah, I, I will also say I think if we had Soyuncu as that left centre back, I'm not sure we concede that goal because for all. Of Soyuncu's flaws, especially when he's got Johnny Evans alongside him, he is very good at stepping up and closing down. I think, if anything, his problem can be sometimes he's too eager to do that. But that second goal we conceded was really a consequence of sitting off and letting them run at us, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that seemed to be the case. And he just let, I believe that was um, De Silva who scored that curler. It was, it was just, I think it was like just on the edge of, of the, uh, the 18 yard box. And it was just perfectly in in the corner, and they just let him essentially. They pretty much just let him go into that uh, into that area, which you know, it's it's difficult in that situation because they let him get the shot off, and he just had the opportunity to just simply toe pick it right into the corner, and it was perfect, perfect shot, and there's nothing Ward could have done about it. Yeah. Oh, hello. Are you back, Madlock? Yeah, sorry. I I did. I messaged in the studio thing. Um, I needed that my daughter was crying. She needed a nappy change. Oh, 
Yeah. Uh, so she she's wasn't good. she wasn't crying because of two points lost. Then. No, no, we haven't quite figured out if she's uh, going to be a Leicester fan or Spurs fan. Um, we're going to have to find out. <laughs> uh, she might not be a football fan at all. I think the only thing me and my partner agreed is she's not allowed to be an Arsenal fan. <laughs> yeah, I think we agree that. And you know, you know, not an Arsenal fan, and definitely not a Chelsea fan, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, just for like being a decent human being really at that point um, um so one question i asked of you but it's the point i noticed that you weren't there anymore if you could have made one substitution that we didn't obviously didn't make what would you have made for me it would either be oh this is gonna be tight it'd either be amate for siunchu just to see the game out or yeah i think yeah amate for you know siunchu for amate or Pratt for Vardy. Um, we just didn't need two defenders, and um, Amate was, you know, I, I feel really bad. Like I said, he, he, I know he's a bit of a cult hero, and he he has had the odd good game for us, but he's just not consistently good to be a, a starting eleven, uh, at least not for a side like us with our ambitions. So yeah, I don't know. Like for me, I, I, final say, yeah, it'll be um, Pr- Pratt on for for Vardy. I think we just needed that extra in midfield. Yeah, I was saying Ian Acho for Vardy. That is a really good shout. No, no, it's a really good shout. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Ian Archer. So, yeah, he always, that second striker role could have actually really suited us. We could have gone back to how we salvaged Europa uh, in 2021. Was it 2021 or 2020? I can't actually remember off the top of my head. So, you know, in the end, that game was certainly two points lost. Um, Certainly both goals were very preventable that we conceded. And also, certainly we had chances. We hit the woodwork several times. I, I remember it twice. I remember there was a Yuri long-range strike in the first half, and then I remember there was a Fofana header, which it was it felt like it was just going to curl into the back, back then. But ended up hitting that one. I believe that was in the second half. But if we want to look at the bright side, and you know what I'm like, I like to look at the bright side of things. It wasn't all bad. We do have some positive things. We've already covered. We won all our defensive corners, yeah. right? Of every defensive corner we had, not once, I think, did a Brentford player get to the ball first. Oh, really? That I didn't know. But I, I think that was also... Sure. And I think that's, I think that's yeah. pretty impressive, especially considering the fact that that's against a team that had been me. Yeah. I mean, I think we will face, let's be honest, sterner tests at set pieces than Brentford are in the Premier League without wishing to disparage Brentford. Um, I, I, I think they're being realistic. There's There's... There's some scarier teams mm. than that. But it's a great start. Uh, Danny Ward, I think, you know, he showed that he can be our long-term future in goal. He, I was very impressed with the stop in the first half, which would have been very easy. And I think most keepers would have done this. Back behind for a for a corner. He managed to hold it. There's another point, he ended up 1v1 and came up and managed to tackle the player, essentially, and stop it before the shot came out. I was very impressed with both those moments. And he came off his line to claim the ball commandingly and he wasn't at fault I think we've already said for either goal no I wouldn't have put I wouldn't lay the blame with him you know like I said I, I just don't see it happening but yeah the man had three high claims um, you know he, he knew his stuff it's, like I said his distribution looked a little bit better I think he only made one accurate long ball to be fair but looking a lot better, looking confident, looking like a bit of a sweeper-keeper, you know, something that I'm sure Rogers would have been wanting. He'd been wanting that for a while, and 
yeah, I think, yeah, it's definitely... It, 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 I'm filled with confidence. I'm not worried. He was really great for us in the, the cup competitions he's done for us over the years, and now is his time to to shine. And people forget he's now the Welsh international keeper, and he had a cracking Euros, so... The last thing to do there, let's pick a player of the match, if, if we can. Tyler, who is your player of the match? Preferably one of our players. Gary Tielmans. Obviously, I felt Castagna played actually quite well, too. Um, and uh, Madison and Kiernan were both good in, in possession as well. But it just felt like Tielmans was doing everything that we wanted him to do last year but wasn't. I felt like there was there was a lot of strength in possession. He was going forward and attacking really well. And he had that one shot, and he had... Um, it was just... There was obviously there was there was Kieran who was great in the in the midfield, but it was really both of them. Both of them as those dual eights, they ran the show in that first half. And the reason why we got out to that lead, and the reason why we had as strong of a first half as we did, was because both of them, and especially Tielmans, who was much better in defense than I had seen last year. Would he also be your player of the match? No, Tielemans, Tielemans was good. I'm not going to disregard that. I mean, my shortlist is himself. Uh, sorry, with um, when I say himself, obviously Tielemans. Uh, Madison, I always feel like I say Madison. It's always, He's obviously, a good player, you know. He is. Um, and Dewsbury Hall. Dewsbury Hall was a just, the, the boy just doesn't stop running. And he's he definitely a contender for vice captain. Um, shows yeah. a lot of energy. You can feel the impetus when he's on the pitch. Um, he almost has that kind of all Brighton presence, doesn't he? Where he oh, will just yeah. just seems to make people go quicker. The people that all Brighton as a player individually doesn't do anything particularly remarkable, but when he when he's part of a unit, he 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 really leads them and he does it in a not so flashy way. And that I think from for us is unbelievable. But to your point, I, I'm gonna really torn on this. I'm, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it to Dewsbury Hall, and that's only. Only because of that that goal, I think if had, you know, Madison was really good, did some amazing, you know, just really was showing his continued form from the preseason into this match. Really wanting that position, I almost really wanted him to score that header with Tielemans that curveball. But ultimately, Dewsbury Hall that goal and his just constant industry in that midfield takes man of the match for me. Fair enough. I really want to make Dewsbury Hall my man of the match, but he. Didn't I know this kind of sucks because I know it wasn't his choice. He was certainly player of the first half, but I find it difficult to make a place played only sixty-two minutes. Man of the match, I've got to go with James Madison. You know, it was his corner that that led to the first goal, mm. and um, someone um, posted, and I think it was you, Madlock, posted that out of all of the other fourteen teams, he's second highest in chance creation, created five chances over the course of that game. Only Harrison at Leeds created more in the opening week of the weekend. Opening week of the Premier League. But yeah, he created seven chances. But yeah, Madison came in with a whopping five ahead of his illustrious colleague, English colleague, I should say, um, Ward Prowse, in, who only had four. Not that it's a competition, but Ward Prowse got in, Madison did. Not that I'm you bitter. No, it's a competition. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Let's move on to the news big developments that have happened. I think the biggest one, Ricardo, is out until at least March. Uh, This is one of those ones, because he he was, Roger said it in his interview, he was such an important player in our preseason for creating our wit on the right. 
Yeah, I I think this this just all goes back to our last episode where he's a brilliant player when he's working, you know. Yeah, and it's kind of if you look at his stats, he's played, you know, well under half our games. Something I think he's played like something like twenty five percent of our total games for the past two years, something like that. It's so hard to have a player who's as good as he is who can't stay on the field. No, I think that ACL is just it's just it's gonna be a constant thing. And that and, and ultimately I know we resigned him, which makes me, you know, ask questions, but obviously they would have gone on there would have been some sort of medical evaluation, but as we all know, we've we've signed the the medical team from Rangers, who are quite held, widely, you know, the guy who runs that and his team are quite uh, widely regarded um, by a lot of people within the same community. So I'm hoping to avoid future things. But there's definitely been a mistake with signing him for a bit longer. I do wonder next window, next summer, this is do we we need to just maybe cut our losses with Ricardo? He he's a great footballer. I he's done that magical moment. I still remember that. The Boxing Day goal against Man City, but he—he's just—I don't think he has the physicality to be in the Premier League anymore, and it's no fault of his own. He, if it wasn't for the injury, I think fate has just been cruel to him. And yeah, I, I'm, and, and basically we've—we're we, going to need another right back, and fortunately we do have Castagna and Justin and Thomas, but yeah, yeah, it's very yeah. frustrating. So if you—he plays played 15 games in the 2021 season and. 14 games in the 21-22 season for us. Um, that's Premier League games. And it's not going to be much higher this year um, either. No, it's not. And if you look, uh, if you go total in the past two seasons, so that's not including this one, he has played 22, 32 games for no, uh, 42 games. That's for all us. competitions, I'm guessing. Seasons. That's across all competitions. Yeah. Two seasons, 42 yeah, games. Nice. It's it. Not enough fitness. I hate to say it. I kind of feel his time with us might be um, might or his time as a good player for us might be over. So I'm not sure if he can come back at the yeah, right I level. This was an Achilles. He was. This was an Achilles injury. Which yeah, that's one of the most those, vicious ones. Those, those are very difficult to stay as good at your sport as you were before when you get hurt like that. Those are not easy. Oh. It's a career ender in some sports. Although, tell that to Chloe Kelly. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, yeah, no, Chloe Kelly. Yeah, she, she did that, and she, she's come around, and obviously now is the, uh, the winner, the winning goal, and that yeah. she'll, she, she won't ever have to buy a drink in any bar in the, you know, in England anymore. Oh, that's for <laughs> certain. Did in the UK. I don't see her getting more drinks in Scottish bars. No, no, they were probably charge her twice. I, I don't know what possessed me to say UK. That was a bit of a betrayal. But, you know, in, in England, at no, least in, I know what it is. Uh, it's because normally if you do it, if you say England when you mean UK, that's the wrong thing. So we are used to thinking of England because we live in England and you go UK because you know actually it's the UK. But this is the one time. This is the one time it's really fine. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. The other one, uh, it Barnes, uh, the news came out. Obviously, when we last recorded, we we knew these players were injured. We didn't know the extent of the injury yet. Um, Rogers has said Barnes would be out for a couple of weeks. So it looks like he won't be back for the Arsenal game. Probably, if it, it really is only a couple of weeks, the Southampton game. But I know Rogers has experience with saying a player is nearly back 
I remember it was a bit of a running joke last season where he kept saying Ricardo was nearly fit and he was kept saying this for months and that Ricardo was a week or two away and then Ricardo came back and 20 minutes into the, his return pulled a hamstring something yeah. so I, I'm hopefully Vans really is a couple of weeks away mm-hmm. yeah I mean he had the chip in his knee didn't he and I think I don't think Barnes is I wouldn't quite say injury prone at the minute but it is I think it's something to definitely monitor and I think if we do bring him I don't want to see him rush back into the side he will be He'll be quite critical. He had a really good preseason, and I think it'd be just, you know, without any, I can't think of any better way. It'd just be very stupid to, to rush him in, and I hope we don't. But I do, and I think this is where Rogers is in a tight spot, and I feel for him. You've got these really good players, but, you know, you want to rush him in because you want to win games because when they are capable, they're brilliant, but you also don't want to <laughs> destroy your players in the process. It's definitely a. A balance. Yeah, and I think as I mentioned, um, of off like the very top, um, with only with, without Barnes, we don't have like we we are really struggling to find like a complementary piece on his opposite flank. So I think that the tactic that we used this five four one diamond thing that we had for the the Brentford match, I think that we should stick with that going forward, or at least until Barnes is back, and then we can try and figure out what we're going to do with a one winger formation. But at least until he's back, I think we should stick with what we have because there's no point in like forcing wingers when we don't have it. Yeah. Um, other things in transfer news. Obviously, we still haven't brought anyone in. Um, I, I saw some interesting stuff. There was a thing that made me um, laugh. I was listening to some podcast. I can't remember which one it was, where they were talking about how. Leicester must have a crisis of goalkeeper because we've lost the brilliant Casper Schmeichel. We haven't brought one in. And they were talking about how, how difficult it is without a goalkeeper. And then the third person on the podcast was like, you realise they have like Danny Ward and Iverson and they're both great, right? The reason they haven't brought in a replacement goalkeeper is because they've had them for years. But we've talked enough about those two as well. Um, the other news, uh, Newcastle's bid for Madison. This normally I'm not too fussed about what football coverage says. I know they're kind of just trying to get hits. This is the one that I kind of felt, what are these people talking about? So Newcastle have been bidding for James Madison, as we well know. Um, And Sky Sports was saying that James Madison is probably off to Newcastle. They'd said that Newcastle's second bid had been rejected because it fell quite a long way short of Leicester City's evaluation. And it also said that Newcastle were not willing to raise their price much because they were not willing to be bullied into paying over the odds. And concluded that James Madison was probably therefore going to Newcastle. Yeah, this is just this weird arrogance. I think now Newcastle is deemed to have this sort of, you know... That, you know they're now backed by an entire state. Um, I can't remember which country <laughs> off the top of my head. I, mean, I can, but let's just not say because we don't want to give them publicity. Oh. That's fine. But you know you got one who's backed by an entire nation state um, in a similar way that Man City is. And yeah, I think this is almost oh they're building, they're, they're doing this thing. But I don't know. Eddie Howe doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence. He's he's very physical. You know, he's a manager who relies a lot on physicality, as I saw at Bournemouth, and he still does now. I mean, Newcastle have quite a lot of physical players. I mean, Callum Wilson comes to mind and a couple of others. Um, they're a lot of their midfield are big fellas. 
you know, I think Newcastle in the coming years will be, will be a formidable force with the kind of financial backing, you know, but I don't know, Eddie Howe isn't Pep and financial fair play is getting tighter. And yeah, I don't think that there's almost this, um, you know, arrogance that, oh, you know, Leicester's on the down and Newcastle's on the up, therefore everyone will just switch ship. I think it's it's incredibly mercenary. And I also, just from a practical point of view, just come from our point of view, right? He, Matt, James Madison is our creative outlet, right? He created five chances. No one else did that. Tielemans may have created one. They might have, everyone might have created one, but Madison ultimately created five. And that says everything. <laughs> you know, he he was the one who who drove us forward and creates opportunities and makes sure we don't stagnate as a side. I, when we've watched games without Madison, I, it's often very frustrating because it's often yeah. quite rhythmic and predictable. And if I can predict it, that means surely very seasoned uh, Premier League teams can s- sense it as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, he's still got two years on his contract. We don't have to... You know, we don't have to worry about him until what the the, the end of this season, I guess, because then he'll only have one year on. And yeah, absolutely. But we have to try and get him to sign an extension this yeah. year. It almost feels like it almost feels like the media wants Newcastle fans to be smug. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, I would agree with that. I think it's just Newcastle were, you know, early days in the Premier League. You know, quite formidable. They had Alan Shearer. They were almost kind of, you know, I, I, I may I may get hit for this but you know they were kind of the spurs at the time you know they quite a formidable side you know quite a remarkable very strong prolific english striker who and they didn't quite win a lot well they certainly didn't win the the league um (laughs) uh even when they've had potential opportunities to do so um so yeah newcastle they they will be on the up they will they villa they will and and others will spend a lot but you know Spending doesn't equal greatness, right? I mean, case in point, Everton. Mm-hmm. Um, Everton have spent a prolific amount chasing top six. Um, and to be honest, I mean, very unsuccessful. You know, Leicester, in comparison, have done it almost on a shoestring budget and through some very, very shrewd selling, you know. Um, and yeah, I to be honest, in the end of it, this whole Madison saga, I think someone's agent is pulling a blinder. I think... He is playing Newcastle like a fiddle and being like, oh, well, there is stark interest from a club with lots of money. And he could yeah. get that wage day if they were to bid it. It would be uh-huh. really unfortunate for you to lose your only creative outlet. I mean, yeah, if I was that agent, I'd be ransacking Leicester as a, if I was, you know, in a completely mercenary mindset. Yeah, that might be the case. Um, yeah, I mean, as, as I kind of alluded to, he is in kind of that year we want him to sign a new contract if we're going to get him to do one. Oh, yeah. Um, Chelsea are still bidding for Fofana. Um, we keep saying he's not for sale. I don't think there's been anything particularly new on this one, apart from they put in another bid and we rejected another bid. So the... the latest I've heard on this, and obviously feel free to comment, I'll just the, the latest I read on this. Just So effectively, Chelsea are... They're saying optimistic. I read smug. Um, they, they won't go over 80, and that's from a credible source. I think that was... Um, either the Telegraph or Romano, but they're hoping that basically they could do 80 plus add-ons to get to the number that that we want, which is probably 100 million. Um, uh, and I think a lot of us, we've got a strong case. We we will build a pipeline. I think we would have been this season looking for a Fofana replacement, 
but without the head of recruitment with you know our head of scouting taking on that position and other headaches all around it um yeah it's the same old i think chelsea will smuggle it i do think fafana wants this i'm hoping that fafana doesn't turn this into a whole Merez situation but given his performance on uh you know sunday i think he did did really well and i think he'll stay professional throughout but he did walk down the tunnel at half time i not to sorry not half time sorry at full time and we'll have to see if his anger brews but we'll see well, i don't know what you think tyler it's a position he put himself in he just signed a brand new contract extension that has five years left on it Chelsea has zero leverage we have no reason that we don't have a need to sell i think that everyone likes to pretend that we're this broke that we're this broke club uh no we're not we just can't bring anyone in because we don't we don't have the slots in terms of registration so i just i don't think i think that there's a perception of a crisis that doesn't actually exist here and i think that that's why chelsea thinks that they can get fofana right now and i don't think that we are willing to move off fofana right now pretty much anything I don't know. I don't know what what how far they'd be willing to go. I don't think Chelsea's willing to match what it would really take for us to say, okay, we can let our we can let essentially one of the most promising center backs that exists out there go right now. Yeah, and just my last thoughts on it is, well, you know, Fafana will be with many other players, and this will lead us to Vestergaard in a moment. But there's like many other players will have the World Cup you know, one eye on the World Cup as they go into this first half of the season leading up to the Christmas, you know, to December and the Christmas period. And, you know, he will get regular game time here at Chelsea is not necessarily guaranteed, you know, it's not unprecedented for them to spend quite silly amount of money to then not play their players. You know, I think a few players come to mind <laughs> with that. Um, and that turns us, and that brings us to Vestergaard, you know, Vestergaard, irritatingly isn't going to leave because he knows he needs to he needs to shine here to get into that danish squad especially with other talents coming up um he needs to show up at a premier league club and i think he feels that if he's at fulham he won't do it and i didn't realize he had turned down that move um until i yeah. read your notes apparently yeah. we um we accepted an offer him and he turned down the move part of me is kind of wondering if he thinks that fafana will end up leaving and that he'll then sort of get a lot more opportunity to start although he clearly wasn't preferred to Amati although I guess he, he didn't make the match day squad there were three players who didn't it was there were three players that didn't it was Vestergaard it was uh, Chowdhury and it was Sumari but if he didn't even make the match day squad behind Suyunchu I don't see how he make out I don't see how he's made playing a ton yeah it does suggest that we're trying to offload him because Chowdhury, he's been on the sale list for quite a while. Samare, we know he wants out. I know we've been considering him as a as a shift to Monaco. Apparently, Monaco look like they're going to possibly put in a player whose name escapes me. I want to say it's Sofiane Diop, and I apologize for the pronunciation. I've gone that wrong, and he uh, might be used as a sort of a makeshift to get the bridge to gap in um, valuations between us and Monaco for Samare. But yeah, I think those three definitely out the door and Vestergaard, I think he might be a bit of an awkward customer <laughs> for us for, for a short while, but we'll see. Yep. Um, apparently, 
Chelsea are interested in Jamie Vardy? Have they actually shown I saw any one article about him? this. I wanted to put it in here just because I thought it was hilarious, and I don't think it's going to happen. I just thought it was funny, so I put it in here. Fair enough. I was going to say, I, I could see the appeal of Vardy. I think, one, it draws names. It is it will it will sell shirts. Um, to he 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 would be an amazing impact sub. If you're being if you're being completely emotionally detached and you're a top yep. six club, and I'm like I need a striker who won't get first team football time, but I'm willing to pay him a lot of money to warm him up at the bench and then scare the defense in the last twenty minutes. Yeah, Vardy would be an amazing asset on my bench, but I don't see Vardy doing it. I think Vardy will retire yeah. here. He's more or less said that multiple times and. He doesn't seem like the kind of fella who would say that and then go against it. I, yeah, I, I yeah, think he'll he, retire with us. Yeah, he he gave Arsenal two fingers, didn't he, in the past? You know, out of out of you get the impression loyalty for the club. I'm going to say what I say this whenever I see reports about clubs want so and so or are interested in so and so with no substantial action to actually back it up, um, and that is. What I really want is a hot night of passion with Margot Robbie. It's never going to happen, though. Ah, Margot Robbie, eh? Yeah, Margot Robbie. Okay. I'm a bachelor. I get to say these things without worrying what the wife is think. <laughs> Don't. I, you know, on a completely unrelated note, I had the missus show me during my lunch break the half-naked photos of Song. He's done something in, like, GQ, way shirtless. So... It's all fair and love and war, my friend. Yeah. Fair enough. Was she trying to encourage you to go to the gym a bit more? <laughs> Something like. As we recorded this, our under-23 team have drawn in Premier League 2 with Spurs, 2-2 two, two yeah. at home. Um, one detail on that is that officially it is now under-21s, actually. It's now officially actually an under-21 team this year, which I think they still have the rule about how you can have three overage players i'm guessing that's still in the rule book but it is now officially l2 is now officially listed as an under 21s team but they yeah. were, were at, at yeah, sea right, yeah. and they drew 2-2 i watched the first half i couldn't watch the second half because we started this it looked pretty good Sammy bray rook is really good <laughs> yeah there's there's i and this you know being at leicester you know i know there's a lot of anxiety around the club but the the, the academy is always producing i'm i'm excited for Potentially Bell Nelson, uh, Sam Braybrook. Um, there's there's so many other players. I can't remember all off the top of my head, but there's a lot of clear talent there. And if they can translate that to Premier League, that'd be great. And yeah, um, I'd like to see if Callum Wright. I know he had a bit of a you know opportunity. Um, he's not clearly come into it. I think he's gone out on loan since since before the season. But yeah, Callum Wright. He if he can translate what he did at Cheltenham with uh his ability to the Premier League, I think that would be that would be quite nice. He could potentially solve some of our winger problems. So let's move on to Arsenal, who we're playing at three o'clock on Saturday and not live on TV, obviously. Arsenal have been quite good in preseason, I hear. I haven't watched any of them. Beat Palace 2 0 on Friday. 4-3-3 lineup. Um Tyler, would you like to give us a really quick summary of what happened yeah, because I did watch this. I did watch the the prep and kickoff. Um, if you hear an ambulance, sorry, I'm in the city right now, so sorry if you hear that in the background. But um, I'm sure the ambulance is for all the sick burns we're about to deliver to Arsenal next Saturday. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so they played um, a 4-3-3 mostly. Um, they did have Ben White playing as a right back. Obviously, he's naturally a center back, but that was because um, their primary right back, uh, Takiro Tomiyasu, the Japanese international, he was injured. Uh, on Saturday, he played 45 minutes in a PL2 match that they had, and I think he might be back. I, did, I looked at some of the reports. They said that he might be back. Um, Emil Smith-Rowe also was injured and didn't play against Palace, but he might be back as well. Uh, it seems like all their injuries might be back. Um, their first goal, uh, I didn't want to bring this up at the time, but their first goal was off of a, off of a corner. So um, they scored, uh, it was a corner hit in, it was beyond the, the, the main group in the middle. Uh, Zinchenko was behind that group, he headed it back into the six-yard box, then Gabriel Martinelli headed it in. So if we wanted to test our medal in terms of if this set-piece tactic is really improved, I think that a good test would be a team that scored the first goal of the entire Premier League season on a corner. Um, they were very dominant in the first half in terms of possession, but then they really struggled in terms of the second half, only 31% in the second half, despite 55 in the first half, which obviously is pretty much the same kind of thing that we did over the game. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds familiar. Yeah, it was the same thing. They kept a clean sheet and they scored, you know, against the run of play, because they, they got their second goal while Palace were dominating. Yeah, that first goal they were dominating at that point was like 20 minutes in. They were dominating at that point, but then that second goal, House had like almost all momentum. But then Saka got it on down the right wing, heads it into the box, but then Mark Gay um, heads it into his own net, and it's 2-0. And then that's the final score. So how do we think we'll fail? I think Arsenal are very clearly a much tougher opposition than Brentford are. With apologies again to Brentford fans. I, you know, and just, just to, you know, to, to really kind of keep that in mind. Yeah, I, with, with Arsenal, I kind of hope they're a tougher side. They've spent what, two hundred million over the last two windows. Yeah. Right. They've spent insane amount of money. If they're not going to give us a tough opposition, I'd be very surprised. But we, we, we sort of lack wingers, and I have this deep dark feeling that will go counter-attacking and as much as we try and move away from it, as much as we try to fight it and we try and go put more possession and try and vary our football, which we need to do, I have nothing against yeah. it we're going to go counter-attacking and for me if we can make pull that off we could see an upset I'm not saying it will happen but actually with Arsenal wanting possession and stuff, if we can keep our cool not have Amate. Well, actually, Amate and Vestergaard might actually play this because we're sat deep and then we're passing to an Ianacho Vardy front just to spread out their defense. Yeah, I'd like to see Ianacho Vardy up front, sort of the mid, uh, midfield of, you know, maybe even probably Tielemans and, and Diddy, a three at the back and then two wing backs who could be, could be, could be saucy, could be really saucy. I was going to say, you've kind of anticipated the question I was going to ask there, which is saying, you know, they haven't conceded a goal yet this this Premier League season. Um, Ramsdale is, I think, a goalkeeper. I I rate him really highly. I think he's a really, really good goalkeeper. I was going to ask you... Just not for England. I was (laughs) going to say, do we have what it takes to open them up? And you're kind of saying, yeah, yeah, we do. Tyler, do you think we can? Um, you think we can score goals against Arsenal? Do you think we've got um, the capability? I think it's going to be difficult. Um, I 
I think it is going to be difficult because they have a really strong and solid defensive group. They have the, the center back, the guy that they brought back on loan, Masaliba, who they just brought back, along with their center back, Gabriel. And if they're playing Ben Wyatt right back, then that's a, basically a center back playing right back. So they have, essentially, they could have like sort of a back three there, but it would be very strong with in terms of their defensive abilities there. So I, it would be it would be difficult. Um, maybe we can find some way where Madison or Tielmans can find a through ball in for Vardy or somewhere. But I, I think that in order for us to score, I think that. It would need to be because we're faster than them. That would need to be the case if we just are, are when we have the ball, we just work quicker than them. I think that would be one of the only ways that we can actually get it done. Obviously, I don't know everything about Arsenal. I saw the one game, but it'd be difficult for us. We either have to. If we, I think if we try and play them at their own game and we do our possession football, they will have us. They'll have us on speeds. They'll have us on just. That kind of coordination. However, like I said, if they give us space and to get out at home, they'll be at pressure to attack us. If we leverage that, I reckon there's an opportunity there and we could do what we did a couple seasons ago. But, you know, I mean, if you're going to, I don't know, I'm probably coming off as more confident than I am. It is very much in our hands. I'm not, I definitely wouldn't rule out as a possibility. But yeah, to be honest, we've only beaten them the once in the last, what, 50 years at, away? Really? Oh, have we? I don't actually know the stats. In 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 all our matches, before we beat them in what I believe is 2020 with that under Vardy connection with the one nil win, mm -hmm. we had not beaten them since the 60s away. Oh wow, I did not know that. Arsenal have always been strong at home, even even since they moved from Highsbury Ground, you know, um, Highsbury Road, and yeah, it, it's a tough it's a tough place to go to, regardless who you are. That's how they work well. Like I said, if we can absorb the pressure, stay disciplined and hit them on the counters, because they'll get more frustrated. One thing about the Arsenal side, and this really seems to translate from Arteta's, they're very card-heavy side. I mean, what, how many red cards they have? I know they all think it's a conspiracy by the FA or something, but they they do get really ill-disciplined. And they, to be honest, they have the same follies that Man City have. When they don't get their way, they get sloppy and they get angry. And we've taken advantage of... Man City doing the same thing and you know they complained oh we put 10 men behind the ball and I think that was a severe understatement of what we did when we beat them 5-3 um, was it 5-2 yeah. rather <laughs> you know the other season so yeah I think we could do the same thing here but the odds are probably with Arsenal yeah, I think the other thing I wanted to ask um, was can we contain their attack because obviously you know there's two important bits of a a football game there's how many goals you score and there's how many goals they score i don't think a marty can no i just i i don't know i think that he was fine for the first like 45 minutes but and there was there was some moments where it wasn't great and i would like to see sanchu playing in that back three because it seems like we're going to do that formation with the no barns and then no complimentary winger on the right so i would like to see yeah. sanchu starting it's weird how, like, you know, we have Madison, Fafana, and Tielmans who all are in, like, these transfer rumors. They all started despite that, but Soyuncu couldn't, and Soyuncu didn't. I think that if they're going to be playing with all that non-noise around them, why not Soyuncu? Yeah, I, I definitely think Arsenal are a team who will be a lot more punishing of defensive lapses than Brentford were. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, and especially the kind of defensive lapse Omati is prone to. Mm. 
Which is why, you know, it is one thing I think um, um, Soyanchu has much better than Amati. Soyanchu has a, more ability to recover when he makes a mistake. And I think we will need that to some degree against Arsenal because, you know, your players are never going to have perfect games, except Johnny Evans, right? No, absolutely. Evans Evans has such a great, he's such a great footballer. He's honestly, if we're talking about signings, some of the best signings that Leicester have had in the last decade or so, him, he, he, he's definitely a runner-up to, to the likes of Vardy. You know, just value for money, just an immense signing. But he was, yeah. It's, it, before we go too wax lyrical about the Northern Irishman, um, you know, yeah, I, I think we need to do that. I, I'd be actually interested to see. I know we talk about the winger. It would be this is where I feel like we're missing Lookman. I think Lookman was a really missed opportunity. Obviously, he's gone to Atalanta. Yeah. And I, I don't really want to open up that wound too much, but. I think had we had him, that opening game would have been different. I think we would have had wingers. I think it would have been a bit better, but shoulda, coulda, woulda. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough game. I think Vestergaard weirdly as a bit of a wild card. Vestergaard might actually be one to consider in that back line. And I say that because if we're sitting deep, Vestergaard, Vestergaard, it was great at blocks. He does get the ball in the air. He he has the physicality. It's the speed that kills us. And when we're doing a high press. That's where he he becomes useless to us. If we're absorbing pressure, though, and they're doing well at set pieces, actually, maybe, just maybe, Vestergaard could be actually a good consideration for this game. A bit of a weird wild card, but like I said, it... I seem to remember also he played fairly well through free season. He did as a back three as well. He did well with Hull, if I remember rightly. So, um, I was going to, like... Sum up the the two viewpoints from you, Mad. Like you, you think we've got what it takes to score goals against them, and you think that you know with the right defence we can you know make it very difficult for those to score. Tyler, I think you're you're kind of not as confident. I don't know where I sit on this one. This is one of those games where it might well be that you know Arteta's one step ahead of what everything that Rogers does, and we end up just kind of getting calmly outplayed. Or it could be one where, you know, every now and then Rogers just has one of those tactical masterclasses up his sleeve. Less often than we'd like, but we've we've seen him do it. And I think it's the kind of match where he sometimes does it, isn't it? Well, he did Normally. it. He That win against them was his masterclass, and there was a smash and grab, which is exactly what I'm inspiring my confidence from, was that smash and grab we did two years ago. All right, let's round up to, to score predictions. I'll go first. I think I think it'll be a two-one to Arsenal. I think I think there'll be goals. I think we will score, but I think it, they. I think it, unless we can hold out for the first forty-five minutes, I think there'll be goals. I think they'll get two of them, but I do think we'll score because even though our defense is a bit wobbly, our attack is pretty good. So that's After my thoughts. For all that confidence, you say two one Arsenal. Yeah, Tyler. What do you say? Yeah. I am gonna go with a. 3-1 for Arsenal. 3-1, yeah. 3-1 for Arsenal. Maybe optimistic, I'll say 3-2, but I think that, honestly, I do think we'll score. Um, I have a weird feeling that I think both teams are going to score once off a corner, actually. That would be wild. There's, there's your prediction. Funny, but um, I, I think that Arsenal, I don't think they're the memes they've been in the last three to four seasons. I think this team is legitimately a top four team in the league this year. I, I think that's my, that's the other one, is I just think 
this team they're they're different than they're different than Arsenal of, of the last five years. I think they really are good and they're not someone that we can just look at and say we can handle them. I, I think that three one I will say. I'll say yeah. Uh, I've often felt Arsenal have been a little bit of a bogey team for the last. Not even you know a bogey team. They are a legitimately good team. Bogey teams suggest they're a team we should be beating. Apart from that smash and grab, we I, we've tended to struggle against them. I don't see us winning, but I can't bring myself to give a score that has us losing. But I kind of do feel it's probably going to be. I, I'm not sure we're going to score against them. I do have a feeling it could be like two 0 Arsenal. Score the two games against them last year. Yeah. So yeah, I like I said it's, it's not impossible. We did used to beat them at home when they were a bit low confidence. But yeah, I the thing for me would be the first 45 minutes. If we hold our nerve, we might be in. But the first half will be so crucial to that game. That's my last sort of thought on this. Yeah, if we if we weather that 45 minutes, I'll be more confident because I do think they get worn out. They're a young team. And one thing I have noticed about Arsenal last season is they tended to peter out towards the end. Um, when they played us at home and they, they was it they beat us 2-0, if I remember rightly. I, I mean, mm-hmm. Ramsdale had the game of his of that season. Tip, yeah, typically. that's the thing. Ramsdale makes such a difference. I just checked um, and we lost 2-0 to them home and away last season. So my initial instinct of 2-0 feels a lot more likely now. It's a good score yeah. line. And it's, it's a good score line for other teams, just not yeah. us, unfortunately. Yeah, it is. All right, so I think that is going to bring it to a close for this week. Thank you very much for listening. If you have uh, any comments, anything you'd like to say, if you think the backing music's too loud, if you think that we I've picked the wrong backing music, um, if you think there's anything we should be talking about that we're not really talking about, we will be talking about the women's team. Um, by the way, um, we'll be talking about them as the Super League season starts to happen in September. So that's the reason we're not talking about them yet, because they're not really playing. There's not a lot to say. Probably should have mentioned they got a new director of football. That's all going to be there. Please come over to reddit.com forward slash r forward slash lcfc and leave comments there. And find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts. I'm putting it on as many places as I can. Next week, we will have our review of the Arsenal game and we will preview Southampton away, which is at home on the 20th of August. I hope you guys have a good week and I will see you all then. So till then, thank you for joining me, Madlock. Thank you, H2. And thank you for joining us, Tyler. Thank you. Thank you, H2. It's good to be here for the first time. Bye-bye. by Attribution 4.0 license. To find this license at creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by spelled B-Y forward slash 4.0. And it's creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by forward slash 4.0. It also uses Riptide by Kevin McLeod. You can find that at incompetech.com. It's licensed under a Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. I heard that URL earlier. Also uses Elf Meditation, also by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. That music is licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license.
got something you want to come in on and say, just like put your name like underneath the current talking point. Okay. And then if you're talking and you kind of feel you've said your thing, just like hand over to someone with their name there. And oh. then we can come on to each come on to each other more easily. I didn't Oh my. I'm I, uh, escalated. I uh didn't that one's going into the outtakes, it. isn't it? Whew. Yeah. Um, oh boy, this has got not safe to work real quick. It's only two it's only two PM here. <laughs> Afternoon delights. Um <laughs> Yeah. Um anyways. <laughs>